This is a Ranieri & Co. and Headline Productions podcast. COVID has impacted pretty much every element of our lives over the last couple of years, including sport. Tens of thousands in the sports game have been left financially stranded. I've never seen uh, big sports in Australia challenged as they are now. Mission complicated became mission impossible. I don't know when it gets better. You'll hope it's... Opinions have been divided over the importance of sport when the difficult decisions have to be made. We've had outrage at the flexibility given to the football codes compared to the arts and fear that sport would be just one more thing we'd lose. If we don't have sport coming back, like to me, that's my bread and butter. But sport has also offered rare moments of national unity. Think Ash Barty or the Olympics. From Headline Productions and Ranieri and Co, this is The Long Haul. And I'm Emma Murray. Today we're looking at what kept so much of our competitive sport going through 2020 and 2021. The COVID hubs. The AFL and NRL have come under a whole lot of scrutiny for how players and partners behaved in these resort-style conditions. But who paid the price to keep the games on our screens? You could give me a million bucks, you could do whatever you wanted to do, but still just wouldn't replace being at home. I don't think they'd ever see me cry like that. I just had days where I couldn't stop. How could I possibly have left my husband and family for that amount of time in a state of emergency and a state of upheaval worldwide? By the way, over the next couple of minutes, there will be descriptions of bushfires. If this could be triggering for you, just skip two minutes ahead. Gratitude is probably the biggest lesson I've taken out of 2020 and 2021. It's easy to forget now that two years ago, before COVID made border closures normal, there were bushfires. Alison Miles was visiting her parents on the south coast of New South Wales in the summer of 2019, when massive fires ripped through the community. New Year's Eve, we got the, the message from um, the emergency services to evacuate at 6am in the morning and the bushfire was coming directly to Malua Bay. And if anyone's familiar and remembers some of the footage and the photographs around that time, there was a horse, there's a quite a vivid image of a horse on a beach. That was the beach that we were evacuated to for 12 hours. Um, midday became midnight. You needed torches to see. Um, we had my three young children there, as well as my um, niece and nephew. And keep in mind, like, there were gas cylinders exploding like popcorn, booming everywhere. The fire front came right down to the surf club and the trees in front of us exploded. And mum and dad put their arms around all of us at the beach when the headland where they lived went up in complete flames. And dad just said, don't worry, the most important things in our lives are right here on the beach. And like that is the most powerful message you could ever pass on to your grandchildren. During the fires, even those of us who were miles away felt a sense of empathy for those people on the beach. If we could, we supported those communities. We were all devastated by the hectares of blackened landscape, by the houses lost, the lives lost, the animals killed. There was a sense of unity in the loss, but our next unprecedented disaster didn't unify us. 
In so many ways, COVID has created new barriers and strengthened old ones. State barriers, national barriers, racial barriers, sport versus the arts, the elderly versus the young. Over this episode, we'll be hearing about those divisions in sport. Loneliness is indicative of modern society. It affects everyone at some point. It's part of the human condition. Thanks to Medibank, We Are Lonely is a podcast that seeks to demystify loneliness. Follow the journey of four diverse 20-somethings on their search for connection. Young Australians have never been more lonely, yet loneliness is rarely discussed and often misunderstood. Season two of the We Are Lonely podcast is part of Medibank's 10-year commitment to reduce chronic loneliness in Australia. We are Lonely is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Search for We Are Lonely and listen today. So I've just pulled up and I'm sitting in my car outside Jack and Carly Revolt's house. And I'm about to interview them with regards to their experiences over the past two years with living in and out of AFL hubs. In my role as a high-performance mind coach with Richmond Football Club, I'm quite often having in-depth conversations with Jack, um, but they're always about his football or the football of other people in the team. I really haven't had in-depth conversations with Jack about his struggles and his challenges and the decisions that he had to make, and I'm not sure we really know what it was like for Jack and for many other players that were making decisions at short notice to leave their families, uh, they had to make decisions about who they were as parents, who they were as, you know, men in this, you know, very macho sport. Hello, how are you? Come up and say hi, you've got a mouthful of food, have you? It's like, rightio, Two, three days, or three or four days, was it? Yeah. It, it, we were Turn told, around, yeah. You're gonna go to the, you're gonna go to the Gold Coast in a hub for thirty-five days. Thirty-five days. So we're told thirty-five days. Yeah. Five weeks. <laughs> um, whilst COVID dies down here again in Victoria, and then you'll be coming home, gu- guaranteed to come home. It was at a time where we were like in our little brand new family. Yeah. Love yeah. bubble of learning how to be brand new parents and being excited about being pregnant again. Now, keep in mind, this was 2020, the beginning of COVID. None of us had face masks. We were learning how to wash our hands. And this was actually the beginning of that first long Victorian lockdown. Do, uh, my obstetrician was at the time telling me, don't go anywhere. Like, we don't know what this is. You're not to go to the supermarket, you're not to go to the shops, you're not to go to the park, you're to stay at home. And because Jack and Carly were renovating their home for the birth of their second child, they were living in a small apartment. It was in amongst all this that Jack was told he had to leave for Queensland. Carly could have joined him, but they needed the house finished before their baby was born. So she stayed behind to manage that work. It was like a horrible, long, drawn-out breakup that just, like, he, we knew he was going and, and it, the day was creeping up as to when he would leave and it was all really sad. Once he left, Poppy and I were in a great rhythm and routine, but you can only sustain that 
for so long. The the real um, tough part hit when it was like, we're not coming back at 35, day 35, and we don't know when we're coming back. Like, just a bit dumbfounded really. Like, you ask so many questions, like, oh, why am I doing this? And like, how the hell have we ended up in this position? Am I dreaming? Like, who would have thought that all of a sudden a pandemic hits the world, we're all of a sudden shuffled away to another state mm. on sort of three days' notice? Just Did you care that, you know, your goodbye to your daughter that was very emotional to you was, you know, their camera catching it all? You know, that's a side of fame that you don't get to pick and choose when you're in the yeah. limelight. Um, yeah, it's just, oh, I suppose it just is what it is, really. It's, but it's, not every, we don't, we're not accustomed to seeing elite male athletes in floods of tears yeah. on our television screen. Yeah. It's, you know, particularly when it's got nothing to do with losing, it's, yeah. we're not accustomed to seeing yeah, that. No, and it's probably changed. I think that the masculinity side of things is probably starting to really shift. Um, just even the expectations of men in the sporting arena towards their, their families and towards their emotions and what it actually is expected of them as fathers and how they're viewed in the public eyes. There's a real shift in that at the moment. Um, Do you think that change was happening before COVID or COVID has brought it to ahead? No, I think it probably started, but I think this has certainly accelerated it. It's still too soon to really wrap our heads around the impacts COVID has had on all of us as individuals and as a society. A lot of big life challenges lead to losses and gains, and this is no different. Maybe you lost a loved one from COVID, or maybe you were separated from family by closed borders. You may have had mental health impacts from lockdowns, or maybe you lost your job. But you may have also found a new career, learned to slow down, or realised you have a resilience you didn't know you had. We've all had some of these impacts, and we're also all still reeling from the uncertainty and the lack of control that changed how we lived so fast. Of course, COVID has devastated many countries much more than Australia. The US was slammed. In fact, in 2020, there were more than 350,000 recorded deaths. No, we got a lot. We got a lot of cases as uh, it was everywhere. Jose Calderon was a professional basketballer for 20 years until he stopped playing at the end of 2019. He's considered one of the ultimate basketball journeymen. So you retired at 38, is yep. that right? Exactly. That's, incre- that's incredible. That, that's not done very often, is it, Jose? It's not easy. It's not easy because uh, it's, it's a long career. You've got to really take care of your body um, to be ready to compete against the young guys. Over 2019 and 2020, he was working with the NBA Players Association in New York. We had some cases, some uh, family members from, from our players as well, that they, they die as well. So it was even more than just getting um, being positive or getting the, the disease or uh, whatever, but it was, it was serious. It was, it was tough moments. I think we all went through in every sector, even if we tried, but uh, uh, 
our players were safe. I think we were we were good. Uh, everybody was uh, uh, comfortable in that bubble where we create. Everybody was uh, feeling that that safe. But we were testing every day. We were testing during the last the season after the bubble. We were testing like three times uh, a day. The NBA built a hub environment at Disneyland where players lived and games were held. Like games here and the Olympics, there were no spectators, which in itself was a challenge. Totally. And you know what was my, always my, and here I was at, as a player, um, we yell a lot. We talk a lot. Um, the coaches yell and talk a lot. Uh, the referees, you talk to the refs and the refs talk to you back. But now you could hear everything. So it was so weird to say something like really loud and knowing the other team is listening too, because sometimes if you are in on one side, the bench is not listening to what you're saying. There is a lot of noise. But now whatever you're saying to your teammate, um, now the bench uh, or your coach or the other coach and, and when you talk to the referee. So it was kind of like a weird, uh, yeah, it, it was a weird feeling uh, when I was l watching and listening. This was also something that really struck me watching the AFL from the sidelines. These massive stadiums, usually full of emotion, were now silent and empty. It was like we were watching a completely different game. What the players were saying to each other kind of took over the moment. Leaving family members behind in dangerous and uncertain times, living in hub conditions and playing games in these eerie, unsettling stadiums, it's no surprise players were struggling. Do you think this experience, we saw a different side to players, a more emotional side to these men? Maybe people, like I think that the emotional side was always there, but maybe people from the outside, they didn't really see what's going on. We just watching the game, that hour and a half or two hours of that sport, we forgot about the other 22 hours that we are a person with the same problems that any other people could have. Um, why you're crying? Because you're crying because you're going to play. Yes, your your job, but you got you live in family. Uh, is you uh, and more than anything, you don't know if if they're gonna be safe or not, or even if you're gonna be safe or not, a hundred percent because we weren't sure. So I think it helped to maybe from the outside world to see that uh, regular human being, a family member with with a lot of like, you know, same problems that uh, any other people could have, mentally, physically, or, or you know, family. Would you consider that that's a po one of the positives that's come out of COVID, that we changed the way we view these athletes and that they are able to more express that side of themselves? Yeah, I hope so. And, and I think, and look what happened in the Olympics too with everybody, I think uh, because of some of the people like, maybe more famous with names that people know him more and um, people were so surprised as I have a problem or uh, mental health or I'm not ready or uh, there is a lot of pressure um, there is a lot of things that going on in, a, in, a, in an athlete that that you have to take care of and, and it was a great maybe uh, yeah uh, for those people to understand like we all going through things something did you see more players with anxiety or more players who were depressed or put on weight or um, you know acted out and got into situations that they wouldn't normally get into I mean we saw all of that and more in the AFL yeah I think we like like we said uh, Emma I think at the end of the day 
we know there was more people who needed help just because of all of this together uh, right away you got to make a lot of decisions um we got to think too like some of these guys are 18 19 years old like they just starting being professional and i always say that now i think at the beginning of my career like 15 years ago i think it was maybe times where i didn't feel like myself and i thought it was ah, i'm not playing good it was pressure maybe it was something else and i wasn't maybe thinking enough about i needed someone by my side to just talk about it uh, a psychologist or something or just to help me go through that and maybe it wasn't just a bad day it was like it was pressure it was whatever it was at that time i didn't talk about it and i think that's why it's important to keep talking about it because it's there for everyone and it's okay it's, it's not a taboo anymore Remember Alison, who spent New Year's Eve watching a fire ravage her parents' town? After the fire, she and her partner and kids returned home to Victoria. They were still processing that terrifying start to the year, when suddenly, a virus changed everything. Unlike many of us, Alison was managing her work, the homeschooling, the new world order. It then rolled around to June, July, school holidays. And at that stage, we hadn't seen mum and dad since the bushfires. And I really wanted to touch base, but I couldn't because I was in lockdown measures, being in contact with AFL players. Alison, like me, was part of an AFL support team. She's a high-performance dietitian. And in 2020, she was working with St Kilda Football Club. So to my husband's credit, John, he took the three kids up to Malua Bay on his own to see mum and dad for the June, July holidays. And during that time, on the Friday night at around about nine o'clock, we had an all of club meeting to announce that the hubs were on. Um, My initial reaction was, oh, I can't, there's there's no way. Like it's just, it's locked down, John's working. There's no feasible way we can do it. Had a good chat through with John, and again, to his credit, he's so stoic and capable. He said, no, Al, you should go. When I packed my bags and left for the hub, I hadn't seen the kids, hadn't seen John, and I didn't get to say a proper goodbye. St Kilda had a hub of around 96 people, and Ali was feeding all of them, not just coordinating their meals, but looking after the players' health and nutrition so that they were fueled and can play at their best. It was more people than she was used to working with, but she could manage. It was the personal side that was probably the most challenging for me. And if I could put it into a bit of lighthearted perspective, I was the only female in the football department. I liken it to being on school camp with 45 teenage boys and their dads for 100 days. So I'll just let that one sink in. (laughs) Surrounded by 95 people, all with the same goal, and supporting a team that was playing well was stimulating and empowering. But it was also lonely. After two months, Alison and her family decided enough was enough, and her husband and kids travelled to Queensland to join her in the hub. The bus pulled up, and the kids got off the bus, and April who was 12 at the time, had grown inches. And I put my arms around a different child to who 
I had hugged when I left her at the beginning of the school holidays when John took her to Malua Bay to visit my mum and dad and I just burst into tears and then Henry and Audrey just, you know, clung on. In a minute, we'll hear about Carly and Jack's reunion and also about the impact on a sport we heard a lot less about. Like, being a parent is really hard and it's busy. You go into a hub, it can feel like a break, can't it? Yeah, there's, there's 100% there's a certain part of it which is like you could sleep in, you could go to bed early, you could do anything. But whilst there's that freedom, there's also the guilt that comes with that as well, is that, well, <laughs> you're missing, you're not doing your job, really. Yeah. Yeah. The players' families were also given opportunities to join the hub, but Carly, like any mother, wanted to have their home ready before her baby was born. So she missed one opportunity to arrive, then another. Finally, after a couple of months, Carly joined Jack. I think anybody at that point would have left Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I miss Jack too. Sorry, I forgot to touch on <laughs> Poppy was desperate to see him. Yeah. What was that reunion like? Oh, the funniest. She just was so excited to see him. And then <laughs> it was like a, you know, long lost, reunited, running along the beach towards each other. And then a bus drove past and she got distracted. <laughs> She's like, bus, bus. <laughs> Jack's like, but me, hug me. So it was this big, yeah, it was this big reunion and she just got sidetracked by a bus as toddlers do. But yeah, she. And she still really struggles. Like, we actually still have um, really, really hard time with her having quite a bit of separation anxiety as to when somebody says goodbye. Because Carly and Poppy were coming from Melbourne, they had spent two weeks in hotel quarantine before seeing Jack and joining the hub. And that was maybe two kilometres from where Jack was. Um, so close. Again, it was just so I close. And, and we were so lucky. It was in this big, amazing hotel, but with like barbed wire fences around us and all this crazy stuff. Um, I was told, please don't have any, <laughs> any pregnancy issues because we don't know if we're allowed to take you out oh. of the hub. Like we just don't know what the rules are and we just don't want anyone to get sick. So just try and keep that in check. And I had um, preeclampsia. Right. Yeah, quite badly. So, you know, if anything's going to make your blood pressure get yeah. higher, it's being told to not let it get high. So what was the plan then? Oh, I think it was like you would have to be hazmat suited up and back of the ambulance and, yeah, it, there was no plan. Luckily, nothing did go wrong for Carly and Poppy and Jack had their movie moment reconciliation distracted by a bus. Then Carly and Poppy moved into the more resort conditions that we saw on the news at the time, living with the Geelong players and their partners. But yeah, like it, I can't fault the setup it was incredible. We had um, playground for the kids, an indoor room where there was toys for them to run around with. But the reality is you're getting on the lift every day to go to your room. We were on the 24th floor, I think. You can't open a window for fresh air. You don't have a balcony or anything like that. You've got beautiful views, but, um, yeah, you're sharing a one room with your toddler. Um, 
and that's your lounge, your bedroom, your bathroom. It's all in the run space. When I was in the COVID hub, I was staying in a hotel with most of the Richmond players, but the players with families stayed somewhere else. We weren't in full isolation like the quarantine hotels, but we were living in strict lockdown conditions. I could go and visit the families. Jack and Carly had a tent set up for Poppy to sleep in so they could watch TV and keep the lights on when she went to bed. We had to talk softly so as not to wake her. Keep in mind, at this point, Poppy is an energetic toddler and Carly is seven months pregnant. And you're in this really weird situation where you're living with, like we were in that same hotel with Geelong the whole time, who we obviously played against in the grand final. Um, and, and we got to the stage where you weren't really competitors. Like we we're all just mums trying to get up every day. And then in the eyes of the media and the general public, you're a wag. Yeah. You know, I remember, I, well, I'm still a mother, but having <laughs> little children, yeah. you know, you felt the judgment. Yes. About what you feed them. What, oh, they're, gosh, yeah. what they're wearing, how well behaved they are. Yeah. And you, but you're Jack Revolt's, you know, wife yeah. and they're his children. Do you feel that judgment? You were, quite frankly, you were, you were petrified that you were going to break a rule. Yes. Um, and so... Because the media were red hot oh, then, weren't they? Oh, my gosh. Like, imagine if everyone in Melbourne, there was a photo of me in the Herald Sun in my bathers just having a sunbake <laughs> on the beach while they're in this really hard lockdown and to be like we actually weren't allowed to go anywhere Mm. we could go out for essential goods we were under the same rules as victoria but just in a state where it was kind of sunny over the last couple of years we have heard a lot about the afl the nrl and the near miss for the ashes But there are other sports that took part in hubs of a sort, just very different to the resort-style settings with 95 people. So it can just be like 20 seconds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bryony Acle, I am the head coach of the New South Wales Swifts, um, and I am a proud mother to four beautiful boys, um, and obviously I have a beautiful husband and live in Sydney. And you're a dual premiership coach. Oh, there you go. You can add that bit in. (laughs) Four boys too. Holy moly. Four boys. That's it. Crazy. Your whole household is boys, but your whole world is female sport. Yeah. Female sport. And that's what people say. Oh, you're going to have a girl. I'm like, no. Hell no. (laughs) I've got got enough of these women, you know, these girls that I deal with every day. I know Bryony from working with her and the Sydney Swifts during the 2021 National Netball Super League season. I also know netball. I played for the Australian under-21 team when I was young. So tell us about that first hub. So it's 2020. We're on the Zoom um, and our manager said, you need to pack your bags. We're leaving it, you know, um, I think we had 12 hours to pack at that stage. Um, My immediate thought was, I have to leave my boys. I have to leave my husband. Like, what does this mean? Um, Instant tears instant tears and I rang my husband and I said I don't think I can do this how can I how can I leave you like I can't leave you here with four boys um 
homeschooling, running a business, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So he made the decision. He rang me back an hour later and said, stop stressing. We're going to come with you for the whole time. So Bryony, her husband and their four boys packed up and moved into a hotel in Queensland for the entire 2020 season. It wasn't a resort quite at the level of the AFL hubs, but it was comfortable enough. And they were together. The next year, 2021, was a very different experience. You'd think being the second year, things would be more organised, but actually, it was a much more uncertain and erratic season for everyone. Yeah, and that time we had four hours to pack our bag. That was probably at two o'clock or at the airport at six. So what did you do with your family? How did you approach that? I just, I said, I've got to go again. Tears, just crying through my, I've got to go again. I've, I've, and they're like, well, how long for? And I said, I don't know. Well, and then we, I just had this thought, well, it's school holidays. It just started school holidays, two weeks of school holidays. Why don't you come with me for the school holidays? We'll be back. We'll be back. And then two of them went, no way. We're not coming. Um, so there, they were off. I just packed again for two boys and said to my husband, he couldn't leave. He obviously had three, we owned three hairdressing salons. So he couldn't do that for two years in a row. Um, but I was, I think I was trying to be naive and think, oh, surely it won't, we'll, I'll be back. I'll be back. But that was on the 23rd of June. I think we were home on the 8th of September. So the decision to take two boys, you're the head coach mm-hmm. of a netball team, like a national netball team. There are no babysitters coming in the hub. There's no extra support staff. You know, there's 15 staff. Did it cross your mind that it would affect your job? Yeah, it did. But I thought, what's my mental state going to be if I don't have any connection to home? Is that going to be worse? Am I going to be an emotional wreck? Because I'm thinking, I'm guilt. I feel guilty. I, and I think the difference is as well. I have a super group of humans. They're not just good netballers. They were. They're great people. So they were like, "We'll help with your homeschooling." Like, and then. I go to call you all in Queensland and you tell me you're in Melbourne. How did that how did that happen? <laughs> well, fortunately, we had the Australian Wallabies Junior Development Squad at a hotel on the Gold Coast. And you obviously talk, you're from sport, and they gave us the heads up. We think we're getting out of here in three days. They're going to close borders. You need to get out of here. There's cases in Brisbane. Like, no, surely not. And that's the difference, right? They had an in to the government to say what's going on. Netball did not. The junior wallabies were right and they had to leave Brisbane for Melbourne. The team had done 10 days of their two-week quarantine at this point. And when they got on the plane, they were told they would get an exemption from having to do another 14 days quarantine in Melbourne. There was no exemption. So the whole team did another quarantine stint. This was how this year played out, shuffling between states, dodging COVID. Over the 10 weeks or so on the road, Briny did five weeks in isolation. The toughest moment for Briny 
was when she ended up separated from her team. We were in a position where we became a close contact of someone in Melbourne that had COVID. So the team left and went back or went to Brisbane to play the next game. And I coached um, on the lounge in isolation um, from afar. So it was probably one of the lowest times I've ever had in my life in terms of being like, being, feel, feeling like I was isolated. And you can't explain that to anyone back home, um, what that felt like. So... You know, I think Charlie and Xavier, who were with me, I don't think they'd ever see me cry like that. I just had days where I couldn't stop. And that was just because I, I, I couldn't control the situation. There was nothing I could do. I had this government saying, well, you're not leaving here. Um, you know, there's, I had just had no say in it. And I think that was the most frustrating part of it. The lack of control and lack of communication wasn't the only difference between netball and the NRL and AFL. Bryony and her team weren't in fancy resorts with team rooms and support people. When I went to visit the Swifts in Melbourne, they met in a small hotel room with players sitting next to each other on the floor. This was how the coaching happened. They cooked their own food, did their own shopping. But something that amazed me when I saw the team and spoke with Bryony, and still now, is their positive attitude. I had made a decision in Adelaide that I was going to make all of this count and that my, my, the girls in my team actually gave me the strength. I remember them saying, we are doing this for you. We're going to win this thing after everything we've all been through. The challenge of dealing with what you dealt with when you can look at other sports and see what their hub life looks like mm. would be really challenging not to stamp your feet and say, this is not fair. What about us? Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. I, don't, I, I just think at the end of the day, I just view what I do, like I'm privileged to do what I do, but at the end of the day, if I got sacked tomorrow, I know that I've got four little people that I adore and I've got my husband and life. there's more to life than netball. Do you think we're all trapped in our own COVID story? You know, the AFL are trapped in their COVID story. You know, you're trapped in your COVID story. Your neighbour's trapped in their COVID story. And mm. we're looking at others like, well, no one has it as tough as me. You know, I'm, I, you know, we all feel our story is so hard and we all have challenges. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think people's story during COVID is something that people are, you know, I think mental health came probably halfway through it, through COVID that, this is serious and that the connections, you know, were missing with people's day-to-day lives um, and sport obviously helped us because we were still doing what we loved. But, you know, coming home and seeing, I said to my husband, I'd been home four weeks and I said, how have you done this for 13 weeks? How? Alison was also overwhelmed when she arrived back from the St Kilda hub. I guess the story in the loop is completed because when I did arrive back home and a few weeks later I was actually let go from St Kilda, then completely the floodgates opened. What the hell did I do that for? Um, I understand the cost cutting that needed to occur at an AFL level and I appreciate that from a business perspective. The practical application and potentially the better word is ramifications. Again, not so much from a player and coach level, but from a support staff who supported the game 
that meant the game could go ahead in full swing, that was a tough pill to swallow. Um, Grief, how could I possibly have left my husband and family for that amount of time in a state of emergency and a state of upheaval worldwide and for what? What on earth did I do that for? Um, As a family unit, what I would say is that we've approached it the same way as we've approached um, understanding the experience we had of the bushfires is what can we take out of this experience as a family We've got a lot of grit, we've got a lot of determination, we've got a heck of a lot of resilience. Well, that's, that's tough. Like I said, I think that's uh, personally, and everybody went through that with family members, with friends. And after we can, we'll see it too, you know, in because of the NBA, what happened? Like, and I don't know if you remember, but it was a lot of talk about that because the arenas were closed. So if there is no league, there is a lot of people who work on the arena. So at the same time, it's like, if we don't play, there is a lot of families, like there is no work, there is no jobs from them because all they're doing, like just an NBA team and NBA as a whole as, as players, there is a lot of movement. It's not just about us or our salaries or, or the TV, it's, it's the TV crews, it's, the, it's all the people in the stands, it's the, all, the, all the, you know, it was a lot of families that depend on those arenas to, to make it happen. That's a massive load of responsibility on a player who's got to make a decision about whether I leave my family totally. or not. Uh, that's why we were saying like it was, it was really tough for them. It's not just, oh, they were going there to a resort to play. There is a lot of decision that they were important. There was a lot of decisions that have to be made. In a moment, we'll be hearing about what's next for Jack and Carly. Like netball, AFL had a more erratic season in 2021. Jack and the other players were moving around the country to Sydney, Perth and Queensland. It was uncertain and unstable. And this time, Carly didn't go to the hubs with Jack. She had a brand new baby. That experience has made Jack reassess the place football holds in his life. Maybe it doesn't, it, it's not that it doesn't mean as much to me, but it, something else means more to me. Yeah. yeah. What impact do you think it's had on Jack as a father? For Jack it's impacted um, in, in almost a bit more of a negative way. Like when I talk about Poppy really missing him and not having a connection with him she then wouldn't let him do anything because it had always been me yeah we've seen COVID impact on this season's aflw and the a-league in whole new ways with cancelled games players testing positive and vaccination mandates we don't really know how the 2022 afl season will play out we you know We've talked about whether we have another child based on what does next year look like? Wow. Because yeah. can you imagine if I've got two toddlers and I'm pregnant and Jack's not here, I'll, I'll hunt him down. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how I would go. Um, so it starts to affect how you plan 
your life. But how do you, you know, this goes around in my head because, you know, I work with people, athletes in other sports who are so quick to say, well, we are away more than that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're an elite athlete. That's sort yeah. of what you have to do. How, where, where do you sit on that? Yeah, I, I look, I understand that that's the, that's what other athletes and especially international international athletes mm. put themselves up for but that's their choice yeah and when and i play a sport that's predominantly based in victoria and and always australia like we play sort of 13 14 games a year and i've designed my life around the fact that i know that's going to happen yeah so yes that might be their opinion but yeah. you're allowed to feel shit and you shouldn't yeah. be judged on feeling shit either you could give me a million bucks. You could do whatever you wanted to do, but still just wouldn't replace being at home. You can't put a value on like what Carly does for me and what I do for her and what we both do for the girls. Like it's it's a as chaotic as it sounds, it's it's a well-oiled machine. Like it actually works because we all know our role in this crazy little household here. Chaotic, yeah. And it and like I know that she's got my back. And I've got her back, and we we like get it done together. And you take one person out, it just doesn't work. COVID has been a worldwide disaster. It's impacted every one of us. But rather than bring us together in this time of challenge, COVID has pulled us apart. We've compared each other's experiences and losses, and divisions that already existed in our society have been highlighted not softened. As I said before, big challenges do bring big changes. After a divorce or the death of a family member, a bushfire or a job loss, we often reassess our lives, our priorities. Now, as a society, we're all in the position where we can start to evaluate our choices. We can work out what sort of people we want to be going forward, what we want to take from this disaster. I think we learn a lot about um, about people in general, about humans in general, uh, how we can adjust in a good way. Uh, I think we learn about all that we talk about the, the mental health and how important it is to have your mind in the right spot and, and in the right place. And I think we learn about that, that uh, how important family is and friends and keeping them together and because we don't know what could happen next. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully we say we're going to be a better better people and but we got a, a long way and we got to keep working on, on getting a better society for sure i always say better people better athletes you know you've got to be a good person to be a great oh, to be a great athlete totally so um hopefully do you think we'll see that transpire into to the sport that we're watching on our screens well, that's great i hope so <laughs> Next on the long haul, COVID didn't just flip the team sports inside out, it had a massive impact on golf. The few players on the top of the European and American tours were okay, but what about the others? In the next episode, we meet Cameron Smith's two teammates from the 2012 World Amateurs. Matthew Steiger and Daniel Nisbet have had very different careers, and they've both had to redefine what success means. The Long Haul is brought to you by Headline Productions and Ranieri & Co., our host is Emma Murray. This episode was produced by me, Liz Keane, and Simon Portis. Theme music was by Kenneth Lample. 
Special thanks to Alison Miles, Jack and Carly Revolt, Jose Calderon and Bryony Akel. Archival audio was sourced via Australian Broadcasting Corporation Library Sales.